0: Across the city and South Cambridgeshire
1: On FM, digital and your mobile
0: Cambridge 105 Radio I'm going to read you the menu It's fantastic
2: So we get better flavour because of the fen soil
3: I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels Than I've ever done in my life before, I think
4: I shouldn't have said almonds, they don't make it from almonds
3: (laughs) so you've got this big sticky
0: mess
5: when you start off.
6: Pizza hot pipes.
4: My wife's cakes are selling
3: hot
5: cakes. Brilliant, thank
3: you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. <laughs> Cambridge is right for this
5: sort of thing. What's it
1: like? Can dishes?
5: <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour, bringing you food and drink news and stories for Cambridge and the surrounding areas, with Matt Bentman, Alan Alder, and Sue Bailey. Alex
1: Rushmer of Vandelisle explains how he got interested in cooking and which cookbooks have influenced him the most.
0: Who put the forage in the foraging chef? Steve Thompson will reveal all.
5: Did you know that there is a service that can pick up what you want from Cambridge Market and deliver to your door for free? More on that later. A West London Indian cookery school,
1: run by a woman from Isleham, has adapted to online cooking, standing digitally
5: by your side, suggesting adjustments as you cook. We also speak to a new coffee vendor in Granchester, run by an ex-rugby coach, and there'll be plenty of local news scattered liberally throughout the programme. Hey.
1: And we kick off with some good news. Not only has the sun come out, we heard when life might return to something approaching normal, and Vanderlyle announced the return of its takeaway meals. So, quite a week. Vanderlyle's meals start next week, though they've sold out already. The next bookings open on Wednesday, the 3rd of March at 10 am. It is such a success. A couple of weeks ago, I asked van der Lyle's Alex Rushmer, a graduate in political science from Cambridge University, how he got involved with cooking, how it all began.
7: I've been cooking for as long as I can remember, really, and I grew up in a, in a household where, where both my parents cooked and my grandparents were, were great cooks as well. Um, and meal times were always very, very important. It was, you know, we ate as a family most nights and... Um, by the time I could reach the countertop, I was in the kitchen helping out mum and dad. I have very very fond memories of of uh, mum's lettuce spinner, the salad spinner. Uh, it was always a, a competition to see who could get them <laughs> as dry as possible. Uh, and then uh, university, you know, school, university. I didn't do an awful lot of cooking, um, but it was only really when I uh, when I left university, I moved to London um, and lived. Lived in a house share for the first time that I, that I really, really started cooking and cooking for myself and being a bit more experimental, I suppose. And I ended up getting a job not in not in politics, but in a um, in a small cookware shop in West London. And so I was surrounded by like-minded people, and I was able to read cookbooks in the morning and go out at lunch and pick up ingredients for for recipes that I'd that I'd seen and and read about. And then I'd go home and spend the evenings spend the evenings cooking. And then did even more cooking when I moved back to back to Cambridge with uh, with Charlotte, my girlfriend, who's now now my wife. And uh, we cooked we cooked a lot. We cooked a lot together. And then MasterChef just sort of sort of happened. I didn't think much of it. I, I never really thought that I'd I'd get on. I didn't even think I'd get on the show, let alone get as far as the, as far as the final. And that was just sort of a bit of a whirlwind, and it, it picked me up and threw me about and and knocked me sideways. And then I had to decide what I wanted to do because at the time I was writing, I was writing quite a lot about food as well as, as well as cooking. And this was around, so I was a contestant in 2009 and it aired in 2010. Uh, So the economy was a little bit shaky as well. And I thought, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a good time to dip my toe in the water and see what happens. And, um, I spent about I spent about a year looking for the right property and then found the hole in the wall, which was listed on a on a, um, a commercial estate agents website. But I got in touch directly with the with the landlord. He was he was looking for someone to, to, to take it on. The, the, the cost of entry wasn't too wasn't too enormous. So we sort of gave the place a lick of lick of paint, bought a few new plates and um, and then really, just learnt on the job. That was that was it. But I saw the pressure of it was 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 enough. And I noticed on my, um, I had an Instagram memory pop up uh, earlier today, and uh, and it's and, and four years ago the Sunday Times released their list of top hundred restaurants in the UK, uh, of which the Hole in the Wall was one, which was. Um, just before I, I decided to close. That so was a really lovely, really lovely memory. I can't believe it's been four years and, uh,
1: and everything that we've, we've been through since. But when you were sort of cooking in the evenings at home uh, from cookbooks, I mean, you obviously reached a, a very high standard. What sort of cookbooks particularly helped, do you think, or inspired you? Uh,
7: initially, it was... Uh, I, I bought every single Jamie Oliver cookbook uh, that I could that I could get my hands on and I loved watching uh, that very first series of The Naked Chef I thought it was so um, it was it, it was so democratic in the way it approached food and it was it was very homely and it was very wholesome and it was all ingredients led and it was very sort of Italian and it was a world away from the sort of instructional authoritative uh, cookery television that had uh, preceded it I think mm, mm. Um, so I enjoyed that but I learnt a l- most of most of the technique for want of a better word i actually learned from a book uh, by a chef called thomas keller uh who has a restaurant in california called the The french laundry and his french laundry cookbook was was my it was my bible for 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 a very very long time and uh i must have read it cover to cover seven or eight times and 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 within the it's such a clever book because within the recipes it discusses everything that you could possibly want from from a from a french classical uh, cookery tuition from emulsified sauces like mayonnaise and hollandaise right through to to braising slow cooking cuts of beef like beef cheek and shin to terrines and force meat and uh, all the way through to pastry so it's a it's an it's an incredible work and during lockdown I've started reading the follow-up which came out at the back end of last year which which has been sort of uh, I think it's 12 years or so between the two books um to see the um to see the way cooking has changed over that over that period of time has been has been amazing, and as a as a sort of document to the way the direction that food is going, it's incredible because so much of it, so much of the French Laundry cookbook was about very very high quality meats. There's a lot of lobster recipes, there's a lot of foie gras recipes and, and things like that. Whereas the the new the new book is. I think probably almost half the recipes are, are, are either vegetarian or vegetable focused as well. So it's really, really wonderful to see that, that shift in the, in, in the trend, particularly at, at the very high end and, and the hope that what we're doing is, uh, is as progressive and forward thinking as what, um, as what hap- is happening over in, in California. Yes. Well, we look
1: forward to your cookbook, Alex. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I suppose that's something that I, that I could have been working on in in the last month or so.
1: <laughs> well, I think you should. <laughs>
7: One day soon. One day soon, definitely.
1: <laughs> that was Alex Rushmer of Lyle, And the American chef Thomas Keller, whose books were such a help, are still available. But possibly better still, you can attend his online classes. They're on a website called Masterclass and he has three classes, each one consisting of around 20 lessons of about 15 minutes each. Uh, you can go onto the website and sample one and I've done that and they're good, very good. Also on Masterclass are classes by Yotam Ottolenghi on Middle Eastern food, Alice Waters on home cooking Apollonia Poelani on bread making, Aaron Franklin on Texas barbecuing and lots of other chefs. Uh, And there are lots of other subjects too, not just food. You can pay by class or for about £200 you can have access to all the classes in all the subjects for a whole year. Each has a PDF manual too. A great way to spend the rest of lockdown.
5: Okay, well the crocuses are opening up in King's College Chapel and the daffodils are getting ready to flower on West Road. Good food for the hungry bees who are waking up after winter. And here's news of what food is available to us if you go out in the city today. Frank Parnan is a good friend of
1: flavour. He used to run Le Gros Frank on Hills Road and currently La Maison du Steak, also on Hills Road, uh, and that opened in 2013. In recent years, he started a street food van called Pull Me Sherry, and you can find that parked up outside the King Bill pub in Church Street, Histon today. that's Saturday from 5 to 8pm. Frank's van specialises in pulled pork and other meats served with amour from an old vintage Renault estafette.
0: And on a side note, La Maison du Steak also do deliveries. They have done for the last couple of years, but it's always worth mentioning it in case you fancy ordering something from a steakhouse today. Just check out their menu online at uk for details. If you collect the food yourself rather than opt for delivery, you can get 15% off for your troubles.
5: Gorilla Kitchen offer Asian steamed bao from their food truck, and you can find them today, Saturday, outside the Sainsbury's in Trumpington from 5 till 8pm. Now, what is steamed bao? Well, it's like a dumpling inside a steamed sweet white dough that has the consistency of a cloud. And the dumpling can be many things. It can be pork belly, fish, beef, pickled vegetables, glazed mushrooms, so many things. And they also offer home bao kits to your door. We've covered this before on the program, but again, it's always worth a mention. Online orders only if you want home delivery. Just go to order.gorillakitchen.co.uk.
1: Here's where we bring you details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Oleo app, and that's free to download. However, lockdown has forced us to pre-record this edition, so we can't bring you up-to-the-minute information.
5: What we can do is give you some examples of what's been recently available on Oleo this week, and that includes – deep breath – kettle chips, Doritos, honey with honeycomb inside, a box full of loose fruit and veg, a bag of lemons, three packs of free-range egg mayonnaise sandwiches from Pret-a-Manger, as well as pastries, wraps, and baguettes, also all from Pret, pita breads, kefir grains, Chinese donuts, twining salted caramel green tea, a box of Viennese Whirls, a box of Bakewell slices, three boxes of mini Battenbergs, All of this was free, and the Olio app will tell you where to collect them and when. And this is going on all the time, so it's always worth checking to see what you can get for a song in the city. And
1: another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. And rather specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. Recently, magic bags have been available from the Eclipse Bakery in Mill Road, the Cambridge Oven in Hills Road and Tradizioni at the station.
0: Steve Thompson is a very familiar voice on flavour having done dozens of food foraging features which can all be found in our podcasts on the Cambridge 105 Radio website, iTunes or the podcast catcher of your choice. He's also the chef at the Plough in Shepreth. A little change to the format this time as he tells us about his past, explains what the different levels of chefing are and what makes him the foraging chef.
4: Yeah, so basically I fell into chefing like quite a lot of chefs do. It was a kitchen porter job when I was I think I was 15 and it was down in the local pub in the village I grew up in and me and my friend went down there we decided we needed some money so we went down there and started washing up and short staffed one of us got dragged around to go cook that was me ended up being something that I just absolutely fell in love with looking back at it it was an absolutely terrible kitchen all ping and awful stuff but it got me into the idea of it I wasn't there for I think I I worked there for quite a while but it was when I was still young and doing my GCSEs and then As soon as I left school, I then started going into higher-up kitchens and just got a complete and utter obsession with it. So
0: is this all in the sort of Cambridgeshire
4: area? Yeah, I spent a bit of time, a brief bit of time up in Lancashire, a bit of time around the Ely sort of area as well, but yeah, mainly Cambridgeshire. And is that working your way
0: up? Because I always find it interesting, the sort of sous-chef, commie-chef. Can you explain how one does the sort of different levels and what you did and where you did the different levels?
4: You start off at the bottom. I mean, there's always a rush at the moment, I find, with a lot of younger chefs to try and get higher up and up to the top. And I suppose there must have been a degree of it for me because I was quite a young head chef. I was, what, sort of 25 when I first became head chef. I worked up, I think I got promoted to demi-chef. I then went off to Lancashire as a demi-chef to party. I then came back and was chef de party then, worked my way up and then I was up to a sous. I I was lucky when I was about 19, I met a really good chef and he took me under his wing and I worked for him for about six years. When I stopped working for him, I took over and that was when I became head chef. So I'd been his sous chef for a while and then when he left, I took over and that was probably when I was about 25.
0: Can you just explain what the different levels of chefing are? Because not everyone understands what the different roles are within the kitchen, although there's an awful lot of television programmes on now that probably tell more.
4: So in your standard sort of kitchen... You start off with your apprenticeship level, which is really when you're learning. Once you finish your apprenticeship, you go into sort of commie chef level. So commie chef is the bottom one, really. And what does a commie do? It's it's a, Really, it's a lot of like basic prep. So Excellent. it's honing your skills, yeah. It's honing your skills. You'll be peeling potatoes, things like that. So the next step up, full step up, is to chef the party. We'll step down a micro step in a minute, but it's easier to explain this top one first. Um, chef the party means you run a section in the kitchen. So you would split your kitchen crudely say into four sections so you'd have sauce which is your meat fish sauces garnish which is all the garnish to the dishes so it tends to be your vegetables and things like that larder which tends to be your starters your salads and desserts or pastry which is self-explanatory you'll do all the desserts and you may well do some pastry prep for things like say canapes or something like that or if there was pastry work on other sections and a chef de party will run one of those so a chef de party will be expected to know all of those sections in the kitchen. So be able to be put on any one and be confident on it.
0: Ah, so it's not as if you're a specialist chef de partie in one particular area,
4: you move around. That's what you aim for. You aim to be able to move around. Now, I've always been able to do all sections and I always want my chefs to be able to do all sections. People do tend to get stuck in one and do like their favourites. And as with a lot of places, if you're good at something, people tend to leave you there. But yeah, I would want a chef to be good on all sections. So not just pastry. Pastry chefs be able to cut meat, and meat chefs be able to cut pastry, basically, and mm-hmm. things like that. In between that is a demi chef de party. They're a step above a commie, but not quite ready to run the section. So they should be able to run the section on the chef de partie's day off, say, and be able to back them up with the help of a commie chef. They're not going to be standing there, kind of just prepping vegetables. They're gonna, they're kind of the step in between the two
0: learning the sources
4: and so on yeah exactly above that you've got then senior positions as well senior chef to parties junior sous but really the next step up is a sous chef and they should be running the kitchen when the head chef's not there they should be running the kitchen anyway in essence the head chef runs it but he has a lot of other things to think about the sous chef should be making sure everything is acted out how the head chef wants it
0: Who is the one who has responsibility at the pass before the dish goes to the table?
4: That'll be whoever's in charge of the kitchen. So if the head chef's there, I would say it's always the head chef. If the head chef isn't there, then it's the sous chef's responsibility. Because it's your kitchen at the end of the day if you're the head chef and you want everything to be to your exacting standards. Now, your sous chef should be trained up into your standards, so they should have the same standards. You always have your standards, you always keep your standards, you've worked long enough to have those standards. Whereas other people are still learning. You have good days, you have bad days. I mean, you never stop having good days and you have bad days. You just learn how to deal with them better without them being quite so catastrophic.
0: Who was the best sort of chef mentor, would you say, you had?
4: There was a couple of chefs that I worked for that have taught me different things. One of them, the one who I worked for for six years, a guy called Nick, taught me the creativity, the work ethic, and a lot of the skills that I had.
0: Where was that?
4: That was at numerous sites around Cambridgeshire, um, culminating in The Green Man, where I took over for him eventually. There was another chef that I worked with for probably a year who taught me to simplify my food a bit more. So it was after I become a head chef and I went to work for him, and he was a chef owner. It was a guy called Chris, who's still a very good friend of mine. And it was over at his restaurant, Riverport Grill in St Ives, and he taught me to simplify the food a lot more. That's helped shape my style probably more than anything. How my style of food is now. I was very lucky to spend five or six months working for Lisa Allen. And she was absolutely fantastic. But when you're working somewhere like that, I don't think you get the one-on-one time with a chef to have that huge influences.
0: Where, where was that? That was up
4: at Northcott Manor up in Lancashire.
0: Where does the foraging chef part fit in, Steve? Because that's really your and your passion now, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it is. I think it really started coming to a front when I became a head chef. So in sort of my mid-twenties is when I really started focusing on it. But obviously it didn't just start from nothing. So I think a lot as a kid obviously we went out and we picked lots of berries and things like that and you did it kind of by association, you didn't think what you were doing. The first time I really consciously thought about it was probably my late teens when I remember working for a chef who was ordering in stinging nettles and paying quite a lot of money for them, which I thought was odd. So I then started researching and thought, well this is an interesting subject, I'll start reading up on it. Then it kind of just progressed from there to things like wild garlic, well why are you paying for wild garlic, I can go and find that. And little bits like that. Mushrooms are started a little bit later because mm. rightly or wrongly there was and is a stigma around mushrooms. I think people are scared of them and I don't think you should be. I think they're very much not. I would recommend starting with mushrooms is absolutely as fine as starting with plants and learning but that was just the way I did it and so through my early 20s I went through periods of time where maybe for a few months I'd be obsessed with it just reading up quietly on my own watching YouTube videos, going out, seeing what I could find, and then maybe I wouldn't do anything again for six months. And it wasn't a huge part of my life, but it was something that I was constantly ticking over with. When I became head chef, yeah, then I started playing around with some of these things because i have been picking them for quite a few years to eat at home and stuff. So I thought, well, yeah, I can start bringing certain ingredients in now. And then that's when it really bit me, and I just started getting, yeah, obsessed with it really, is the way to put it, coming up for a decade ago. Now, just it's something that we just do naturally. I mean, we pick for ourselves at home. We feed our baby off wild food. We base everything around it. The Foraging Chef was kind of born. I mean, that I think that was born... It's not a huge amount of time ago. About three years ago, I think, The Foraging Chef was born. Maybe coming up for four. But that was more of a way of having something that separated me from where I was working. A bit different that set me apart. So I wanted to show people what I was actually doing. And the name The Foraging Chef came in because there was people that kept coming into the pub going... Oh, can we show this to the foraging chef? And that was just what I kept getting called when people wanted to bring in mushrooms to see what they were and things like that. So that was where it came from. So we just thought, well, we'll call ourselves that. And it went from there. And yeah, there was a lady who I'll never, ever forget who came in who'd been eating brown roll-rim mushrooms. And she'd been like, eating them for years. Mushroom? The Brown roll-rim is a... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a species. Mm-hmm. And they are known as deadly poisonous. And... They're an accumulative mushroom. So you don't necessarily... They don't poison you straight away. But I think it's something to do with turning your blood red blood cells against yourself, against the body. So eventually you eat one and that's it. It will shut down your kidneys. There's something to do with that. And I can't remember off the top of my head today. Yeah, and she'd been eating those. So it was trying to explain to her, look, it doesn't matter that you've been eating them and been fine. You... Eat one more and that could be the end of you. Or you could eat them for another 25 years and you'd be fine. I mean, I would not ever recommend trying that. There are certain countries in in Eastern Europe that still eat them, but I wouldn't. It's not going to be a happy ending. So it was that again as well. And that was why I got a bit more into saying to customers, yeah, please feel free to bring stuff in to identify before you eat them. Kind of just grew up on us without expecting. And then I suppose really the foraging chef really grew in the beginning lockdown last year. We almost improved our followers online tenfold. And we got a lot more. We started working on a book. It has a lot more presence online. So we get a lot more people sending us in pictures of stuff. That's something I've really worked on, actually, is identification through photography, which I still find quite challenging. But I tend to get probably 10 to 20 pictures a week sent to me, maybe more, of people wanting things identified for them, basically. Or help with it, where to start out and stuff like that. And actually when it's not in your hand it's a completely different thing because you're rolling out a lot of key identification features when you don't have it in your hand so it's been quite fun and quite challenging actually just working on doing a lot more photo id
0: so is this on facebook or instagram or twitter or how is how are you doing
4: it so i tend to be a lot more facebook based i do have twitter and i do have instagram both have the foraging chef on there so you can type in the foraging chef and find me but they're both under chef steve thompson or steve thompson whereas the foraging chef i have the specialist page on facebook and it tends to be people contact a lot more through there and there's a lot of good facebook groups as well which help with identification which are really interesting to watch and see how people come to their conclusions via via photo id i mean a lot of things is very easy identify via photos it's been a nice little challenge to keep you sane through lockdowns
0: it sounds like you have a lot more mileage in your, if you like, your brand as the foraging chef, Steve, with all sorts of potentially exciting things happening all the way along.
4: Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, we'll hopefully be getting a restaurant up and running. We'll hopefully be doing that in partnership with The Plough. and
0: That's The Plough and Shepherd. Yeah,
4: The Plough and Shepherd. As soon as we can, really. It's waiting on restrictions at the moment. We're working on a cookbook. There's other things in... The pipeline that we'll just have to keep following and stay tuned for
0: that sounds really good steve thank
4: you very much indeed
0: and you can find the foraging chef on facebook as the foraging chef as well as on twitter at steve underscore thompson four and really look forward to that book coming out in the future
5: more news now and mention the Geldart pub on ainsworth street and quite often people will think of the hot rocks exotic meat served sizzling on hot rocks well The Geldart is currently doing a rather nice line in 12-inch stone-baked pizzas, which are available on Wednesdays, Thursdays and Saturday nights. Each one is named after a celebrity. The Pavarotti, for example, contains smoked pork belly, buffalo mozzarella, jalapeno peppers and mushrooms. The Frankie Lane has mozzarella, pesto, artichokes and pancetta, whilst the Nancy Sinatra is their vegan option, with vegan cheese peppers, caramelised onion, and cherry tomato. And that's just a few of them. You can order all of these online at the-geldart.co.uk The Wandering Yak is
1: a street food van specialising in North African and Middle Eastern street food. Things such as Egyptian falafels, grilled harissa tofu, or smoky frika pilaf with herbs and pine nuts, all done in mix-and-match boxes, mezze boxes, boxes of nibbles. And they're at Food Park in Eddington right now until 2pm, and then this evening, Saturday evening, you'll be able to find them at Clay Farm, Hobson Square,
5: from 5 till 8. Here's something for next Monday. La Latina Bastorante at Food Social in the Grafton Centre specialise in South American and Latin flavours. And if you check the photos on their Twitter feed, they make lovely Colombian coffee and dulce de leche cakes that are oozing flavour to be worth a try. They're open until 9pm on Mondays and you can order via at foodstuff cams, and you can have it delivered to your door.
1: A marvellous newish service called Mikomi has begun in Cambridge. Run by market lovers Shaha Hattan and Alana Wood, it goes shopping for you and here is Hannah followed by Shaha to explain.
8: We've partnered with Zedify, which is an eco-friendly delivery company in Cambridge. So they use uh, their eco-friendly human-powered trikes. Um, and we essentially send like a McCovey shopper down to the market and it will collect your order for you. Get everything, whether it's from um, d Fruit and Veg, Roberto's Deli. Uh, then they head to Bagel Box to get bagels. And then you want smoked salmon to fill it. So they pop to the, the fishmongers, bring that order together. And then it's then they take that order on their trikes and we'll bring it to your door we love shopping locally at the market it's so great for the community um, and the market traders getting money to
3: local businesses um, and it's also so much better for the environment i think it's both more seasonally and more locally produced it's a shorter uh, journey from farm to table i think another great advantage of the market is less less plastic packaging in general uh you get everything loose and fresh um and we're trying we're really trying to enhance this uh in our deliveries the one that we find really frustrating is um the plastic
8: wrapped broccoli it just doesn't need it but that's you know what everyone that's what the supermarkets are doing and it's because it's convenient for them but it doesn't put the environment first and this is one of our real like main motivations behind macomi is being able to create a solution that's as convenient as you know your local supermarket but doesn't compromise the environment and actually supports the local community around it and you know, we're really excited to have been able to bring that to Cambridge. How do people order them?
3: So they go on their website, which is macomi.com. We're basically trying to create the same experience they would get at the market. Obviously, you can never get that far, but it's their market day. And then they have the different traders that trade on that specific day. And they make up a shopping cart with different products from different traders and get it all delivered in in one in one delivery, really, in one order.
1: And what's the trader's response been? Have they been pretty pleased that you're doing this or?
3: So actually, the way we started was uh, back in the first lockdown last summer, we went to the market, spoke to the traders, told them about the idea, and the the engagement with, we got from them was amazing because they really they were looking for some some sort of a solution that would help them extend their range. Um, obviously we're still growing and it's really a learning process and we get more and more orders as we grow Uh, they've been really patient with us and uh, you know we told them don't expect to get hundreds of orders a day with us yet but I think they're happy they're happy that they they like the interaction with Zedify with the couriers uh, they they see returning customers the same orders uh, every week so it's really nice
1: And you don't charge the traders, do you? So how, say, Zedify and yourselves, how, how are you
8: paid? So um, we really started Macomi as a passion project and saw the huge impact of COVID on the market. Um, so we decided to make Macomi free for the traders um, completely for the entirety of the lockdown. We're really just happy to be part of the community at this point and we were able to sort of partner with Cambridge Council in in order to do that when the market was closed back in was it December or early January we were just really sort of delighted that we were able to keep the market traders trading whilst that they didn't actually have a physical place to go so it's a run with love at the minute
1: And some of the market traders have a huge amount of different produce, don't they? I mean, you mentioned G&M's who are the fruit and veg place, mm-hmm. but Roberto, uh, his deli, has an extraordinary number of items.
8: Yes, we've um, had a really good time uh, going through all of the different products that Cambridge Market offers. It's been really amazing that we were able to create the Supermarket from all of the different components of the the market, and uh, one of the things that has been really enjoyable for us is actually being able to look at recipes with the bringing together different products from different markets and sort of sharing those on our social platforms and to our um, newsletters as well. And it's it's been really great. It's been like a culinary experience and almost like a challenge to try and incorporate as many of the different market stores into the recipes that we're we're creating.
1: So how do people make contact with you and put orders in and look at recipes and things like that, how do, how do, how's that done?
3: So uh, we have our social media page where we um, share our content and we try to make it like really rich in terms of content and, you know, bring the, the different stories from different traders and different recipes and bring everyone together. And the way they shop is they just go online, they buy stuff and actually they, they communicate with us on emails as well. We get great feedback from them. Like the, Some some of our returning customers just, just say, we, we love your service, keep on going. And it's really what, what keeps us going. Yeah. So we're on Facebook, Instagram. And
8: if you're on our website, you can sign up to our newsletter where you'll hear from us once a month with our favorite things that we're currently eating, essentially. Uh, it's, sort of the best job in the world <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the website's Mikomi.com, isn't it right yeah yeah you put a leaflet through my door actually that's <laughs> oh,
8: did we yes. that was that was actually us that was <laughs> we, yeah we um <laughs> sort of uh wondered how that we could get get into people's kitchen so we thought that we would uh, write a letter Thank to God. the community. <laughs> and we walked around house by house and it was us and we delivered them. And it, it was um, really nice actually and to uh, meet people as part of the community, chatted to loads of people about the idea. Um, it's amazing because of the lockdown how many people were in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was Shahar and Alana from Mikomi. A great idea and there's just no excuse not to use them. Their website is Mikomi which is spelled M-E- c-o-m-m-i dot com We're just heading into a break now but we'll be back for some online cookery and roasted coffee.
3: Cambridge
7: 105 Radio join me neil jones every tuesday here on cambridge 105 radio for the very best from the world of rock every week we'll bring you big name interviews all the latest from the local scene here in cambridge and the very best rock songs around it's two hours of rock every single tuesday from nine o'clock with me neil jones right here across the city in south cambridge on cambridge 105 radio
0: Need dropping off at work? Miss the bus and must make that urgent appointment? Need picking up after a night out with your mates? Panther Taxis is your Cambridge-based taxi firm with over 700 drivers offering great rates and local knowledge ensuring you make it quickly and safely to your destination. We don't inflate our prices at peak times and all our drivers accept payments by cash or card book your taxi the easy way download our free panther taxis app through your app store and start booking your taxis on the go call cambridge 715 715 or see panthertaxis.co.uk panther taxis your local quick reliable and friendly taxi company in the city
1: CKLG accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise
0: I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Creating and preserving wealth is an aspiration for many of our clients In our complex world of changing legislation and family circumstances we listen and provide you and your family with bespoke tax advice tailored to your needs
1: To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website, cklg.co.uk.
0: CKLG Accountants, your partner in business, your
5: partner in life.
6: Cambridge 105
2: Radio.
5: Welcome back to Flavor on Cambridge 105 Radio. Now, just as cafes and restaurants have had to adapt during COVID, so have other food businesses. And for this next feature, we talk to Manisha Baradwaj who runs a cookery school called Cooking with Monisha. Unable to run her classes face-to-face, she's taken them online. Here's Monisha to tell us more.
6: Well, firstly, hello, and thank you for having me on the program. My professional background is that I trained as a chef in India many, many years ago, and I trained both in Indian cooking as well as in French cooking. I've never ever cooked French professionally, but Indian cooking, yes, I started a long time ago first, working in restaurants, and then started writing books. And I've written now 16. I'm currently working on my next one, which will be published in the autumn of 2021. And for about 15 years now, I've run my cooking school, which is Cooking with Monisha. It's a physical in-person cooking school based in West London. But also uh, because of the pandemic, we had to change and from May 2020, we also went online and that was a whole you know, experience. But professionally, I think it challenged me, but also taught me a lot. So things have moved on due to the pandemic, but also I'm growing from past experience.
0: How do you run an online cooking school? Because... It is quite a challenge. I know some people are doing it. But obviously, you are well established in your own techniques and styles of doing things. But what, what makes yours a bit different?
6: So in May last year, we had to move online. Actually, it was a little surprising for me because for quite a few years, people have asked me for Skype classes and online classes because we've got clients from all around the world. And I always said, I don't think that will work because food is so sensory and it seems like I'll take the best part out of it if I do online teaching. But, of course, in 2020, that was the way to go. So we did quite a few trial classes to see what technique and what method would work for my recipes the best. And I found that I'd like to be seen as someone who's standing in your kitchen with you as you cook. So rather than me cooking in my kitchen and you following, it's the other way around and you're cooking and I'm following you. So I personalise my online classes exactly like I would my in-person classes and I can tell you exactly when to turn the heat down or when to add a certain spice or when something is ready. And I think that's what set our classes apart, that although we've moved online, they're still very personalised.
0: That's really rather clever. So you're almost like you're... standing at somebody's shoulder saying, oh, this is when you should be adding this particular spice or this is how long you should cook this for.
6: Exactly. So it's almost, my clients have said that it's almost like I'm standing with them exclusively in their kitchen and telling them what to do rather than telling 10 people what to do because I will uh, make sure to look into their kitchen. <laughs> I consider that a huge privilege. I can look into their plans and tell them you know, what they're looking out for
0: presumably you can't do 50 people for classes online because that would just be too much to look after. So do you limit the number of people?
6: Well, I think some uh, cooking classes do accept 50, but I think the way I'd like to teach, that's just too many. I wouldn't be able to personalise a class. So I have had to take that decision to limit numbers, even if we are online and, you know, with some model... So online teaching means that you can go to hundreds of people and increase your revenue stream. But I think that takes away from that sort of very personal, intimate atmosphere of a class. So I do limit my classes. they are up to 15 people. And we take a few more if it's a corporate class. So we do lots of corporate online classes as well.
0: That sounds very clever indeed. Could you give me a flavour of some of the classes that you've been running? And then if you could tell me about what classes you've got coming up?
6: We have three classes that we run on a regular basis every month. One is an online Indian restaurant curry class. That class was one of my most popular ones in person. So I've moved uh, a version of it online as well. There's a vegetarian class online and also a biryani master class because that's something that people seem to love. The online classes are all two hours long. I send out the recipes and all the prep lists, so shopping lists, equipment lists, what you need to do in advance, so that when we meet for those two hours, we're talking about how to get it done, rather than chopping an onion, which you know anyone can do uh, in their own time. Also, every month I put on some specials, and they're advertised on Instagram and Facebook. So those will be just one and There's one coming up uh, in March, which is dals and pulses, how to use beans routing, lentils, all of this. Each month there's this masterclass, as it were.
0: I'm presuming you have an Instagram page, or Facebook, or Twitter, or one of those things.
6: Yes, all of them, in fact, because these days that's the best way to keep in touch with readers and clients. And you know, you know, do so you on Instagram as well? And how many people connect with us because of social media? So. That's a very important part of my business.
0: It's cooking with Manisha, is that right for all of your social media?
6: Facebook is cooking with Monisha. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm Monisha Baradwaj.
0: Monisha Baradwaj. Okay. Could you just spell the Baradwaj, just in case people don't find you popping up immediately?
6: Okay. So it's uh, Monisha. straightforward. It's M O N I S H A, and my surname is B H A R A D. W-A-G. I
0: came across you because you mentioned about being Cambridge or Cambridgeshire located. You've lived in London for some little while. So you now live part of your time in the Cambridgeshire area, not too far away from Cambridge. I gather this is a good location for you to write your books. So could you just tell me a little bit more about your books as well?
6: Yes, certainly. So I'm based part of the week in Iceland, which is where my other half lives and part of the week in London, where my cookery school is based. I started writing, well, a long, long while ago. And my latest book, which was released at the end of 2019, is called Indian in Seven. Seven ingredients of fewer, so quick weeknight meals kind of book. And who would know, you know, that 2020 would be the year that such a book would shine because it uh, won the Kumo World Cookbook Award for the best Indian cookbook in the world 2020. Wow. And you know, we had so many people buying the book because it was a perfect lockdown book, you know, store-covered ingredients, easy, people were missing going out to Indian restaurants. We just did very well with that book and I'm very grateful to everyone who bought it and, you know, wrote back to me and said how much they were enjoying the recipes. Many people said it was their go-to for the lockdown, so I'm really thrilled and very grateful about that.
0: And then one that you've got coming up, which one is that?
6: Very fortunately, and you know, I was hoping at the start of lockdown that I'd get a commission to write a book, because what better time? You know, I'm, my school is in person school is hibernating and I have more time this year to sit down at my desk and write. Fortunate I got a commission, it's an American publisher I can't say too much about it at the moment My deadline is the end of April but I think I should finish at the end of March, because I've got the time to sit and write it. It will be out in the autumn, I should say fall, because it's American, but it's a, it will be just worldwide.
0: I shall look forward to have a chance to read it and I shall hunt out your other books. That sounds lovely. I hope that anyone who's interested in having a go at doing these recipes online with Malisha will check her out.
6: that um, For anyone wishing to buy a present for Mother's Day which is coming up on the 14th of March we've got several online classes for that weekend and you can have a look more about details on my website which is cookingwithmonisha.com. And cooking
0: can be done through the website as well. That was Manisha Baradwaj. As she said in that interview, her most recently published book is called Indian in Seven. 80 Indian recipes containing seven ingredients or less, available in all good bookshops. Manisha was also named Cookery Writer of the Year in 2003 by the Guild of Food Writers. And again, her website for those online cookery courses is cookingwithmanisha.com.
1: Some more news now. Cambridge Sustainable Food is a city-wide partnership. We had Sam Dyer from the partnership on our last programme and Alex Collis was on the one before that. Now, Cambridge Sustainable Food is developing an action plan to shape the future of food in the city. And to do that, they want to know what's important to you. Is it community food growing, climate change, food waste, reducing food miles? All of this is about creating a more sustainable city Their website is cambridgesustainablefood.org. If you go there and click on Manifesto, you can tell them what's important to you and what you think they should be working on. You can also check out their previous action plan for 2017 to 2020.
0: Here's news of an event. It's a talk called Preserving Food Naturally. It's what we used to do before fridges were invented. It's online and it's part of Transition Cambridge's Transition to a Better Future. Now, these are a series of free talks every Tuesday until the end of March. You need to sign up to get a link to these talks, and you can do that by going to transitioncambridge.org and clicking on News and Events. Preserving Food Naturally is a talk given by Meg Clark and Jackie Sutton-Adams, and that's on Tuesday the 9th of March at 7.30pm.
5: Poudini Caterers were on the program a few episodes ago, and you can find them in our podcasts on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. And they've issued their next supper club menu. Now this is because they've gone monthly with their supper clubs. This next one includes blonde ragu with pork, veal, and sage. Cooked slowly for hours with white wine and pancetta and finished with cream, sage, nutmeg, lemon zest, and plenty of freshly grated Parmesan. Alex of Poudini is a pro chef who's worked with River Cafe and Richard Stokes from the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley. So, they're taking orders now for delivery on Friday the 5th of March, and alternatively they have a dine-at-home option, provided with heating instructions, for Saturday the 6th of March. Delivery is free if you live within 7 miles of Willingham, where they're based, and all food is delivered in heat bags to retain the heat. If you fancy some of their eloquent fine dining, just check out the menu on their website, pudini.co.uk. I'll spell that for you. P-U-D-D-I-N-I. Pudini.co.uk.
0: Mother's Day is a fortnight away on Sunday the 14th of March, and Culinaris, the delicatessen on Mill Road, has brought in some special panettones to mark the occasion. With flavours like chocolate, salted caramel, glace, peach eggnog cream and plenty more. All are available online for collection, in-store or home delivery. If you want to have a look yourself, their website is culinaris.co.uk. On a separate point, Culinaris are celebrating their five-year anniversary. It was February 2016, it feels like yesterday,
1: Rob Conquest is the owner of the Java Coffee Club. If you've passed through Grantchester recently, you may have seen his rather nifty coffee set-up outside the Cambridge Gin Distillery. He got the idea several years ago, but it was being made redundant during the first day of lockdown as community coach for Cambridge Rugby that prompted him to start his coffee business.
2: I always wanted to have a mobile bar to serve coffee. When I was playing rugby full-time... A couple of players that I live with, they used to call Coffee Java. And I, I quite like the sound of that. And also with Country Java Indonesia, it does a lot of coffee growing as well. So I thought that would be a nice togetherness with the name. For the uh, second lockdown, we were down by the gate of Grandchester Meadows. We made a good relationship with the gin distillery. They kindly asked us if we'd like to move up onto their forecourt, which obviously brings us more customers with the road. We accepted their offer. We do teas, coffees, hot chocolate, cold drinks, and we do a range of homemade cakes as well.
0: Give me a flavour of what they are.
2: Oh, so we've got gluten-free carrot cake, banana cake, apricot flapjacks, disco rocky road, a variety of brownies, cherry cake, bread pudding, millionaire shortbread's favourite at the moment. So it's a variety, yeah.
0: Well, that sounds very tempting. I gather you're thinking of uh, broadening your appeal to do sort of weddings and parties when things get back to a little bit of normal. What would you say has been the steepest learning curve for you starting up a business in the pandemic and in the food area?
2: Probably got to be the amount of health and safety checks. You've got to go through paperwork, Definitely the background stuff. Being there, serving the customers and the locals, that's to fund it.
0: Are you getting to have some regulars now?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. We um, we get quite a few regulars actually. Some people come back twice a day, which is, which is great for us. But yeah, we we're starting to create a relationship with a few of the locals, and we do, especially at the weekends, we do recognise a few faces, which is good.
0: And I noticed on your Instagram that you are being very particular about how you make a good coffee.
2: Well, there's, there's been many people for years and years experimenting on So there's, there's so many different ways. But my latest post, I've been talking about the grind. If, if your grind is too coarse, then the water will flush straight through the puck and then end up making your coffee is quite sour if you grind it too fine your coffee may come out a bit bitter. So it's just getting the balance correct with your grinder, your different settings, how much water you'll push it through that puck. When, obviously, when I started out, I'd, uh, I'd spend hours outside trying coffee, trying to get my grind and my, my details right. You can imagine that I had a bit of a headache after drinking all that coffee.
0: Yes, if you were doing it testing a, a number of times a day, I can understand. Which coffee do you use? Is it an Indonesian one? Where is it from?
2: So I get mine from a company called Cockerbee Coffee, which is out in Stansted Abbots. They do all sorts of stuff. So Brazil, Ethiopia, So we, we buy them whole. So then I can grind them.
0: Obviously, in town, there's hot numbers and they do their own roasting. But hey, there's different coffees and different opportunities for everybody, which I think is really nice.
2: There's so many... So many coffee brewers out there now. People, when they come and try my coffee, they go, oh, "Have you heard of this one?" I'm like, "Oh no, that's a new one. I'll have to research that."
0: I think you're performing a very useful service in Granchester. Do you go to places other than grantchester
2: At the moment, no. grantchester is my main uh, pitch at the moment. Depending on when lockdown is lifted, depending on how how busy I am, is obviously dependent on where it be. It's, it's a great spot. It's a lovely village. So I'm hoping to carry on where I am.
0: I will definitely be popping by. I wish you all success with your coffee venture. And it's a, a very noticeable van, which is rather nice.
2: I have my roof on it during the winter, but now the sun's coming out, I'm taking the roof off and I can expand and open the doors, which gives me a bit more space to serve. And obviously, with the rules, keep social distancing between my customers and keeping them safe as well.
0: You also have Instagram and Twitter, don't you? I think people can follow you on that. So if you do start going on the move, could you just tell me what they are?
2: I mainly run on Instagram and Facebook, and I've also got Twitter. The uh, at the Java Coffee Club. I try to post up where I am. Obviously, I'm quite stationary at the moment. Nothing really changes there, but as I am on the move, you can you can find me there.
0: That was Rob Conquest talking about his business, the Java Coffee Club. Once again, his Twitter handle is at the Java Coffee C1 which could be handy to follow now there's the beginning of a roadmap out of the national lockdown, and he could be soon taking his coffee to pastures new.
1: Time for a final burst of news. Mark Poynton has announced he's reopening at the Shepherds on the 20th of May, and reservations are now being taken.
0: If you're a dab hand with smartphones and its app culture, here's a food-related app called Oro. It's a meal planning and fitness app, Featuring recipes designed by Daniel Clifford of Midsummer House. It's not something we usually feature in our news snippers, but why not, eh? Oro, spelt O-R-O, is free to download on Apple and Android phones.
5: And if you fancy tasting over 40 wines and gaining an internationally recognised wine qualification into the bargain, then the Cambridge Wine Academy's WSET Level 2 qualification could be for you. Now this is a beginner to intermediate course, and two of them are running in March. Steve Hovington will be your guide, and Steve has been on flavour several times over the years exhibiting his wine knowledge, he also authored the book The Grape Escape about his own excursions into winemaking. This is an online evening course, and to find out more, and to enrol, just head to cambridgewineacademy.com and click on the Wine Courses heading. There's the sound of Booker T and the MGs playing green onions, indicating the start of our job section.
0: Dolcedo are looking for a full time baker for their site on Mill Road. So if you're a baker of some experience, it could be worth sending your CV to dolcedopatisserie at iCloud.com.
1: Scott's All Day, also on Mill Road, is looking for a pizza chef with a wage from £9 to £11.50 an
5: hour. Bald Brothers is a specialty coffee shop and they are looking for a front-of-house person. You'll learn the coffee trade, there's a pension scheme and free coffee.
0: Maison Clément Bakery on Hills Road need a part-time barista for 20 hours per week.
5: Cambridge Organic, who supply veg boxes from local farms, are looking for a new team member or members. This will involve Saturday work and packing and delivering of the organic veg boxes, so a driving license will be required. Cambridge Organic, or COFCO, as they're otherwise known, they are a real living wage accredited employer. And if you'd like to be part of the team, then you can email info at cofco.co.uk, that's C-O-F-C-O. And you'll need to supply a CV and a covering letter by the 5th of March.
1: And Hot Numbers Roastery, the branch in Shepherth, is advertising for two front of house staff to maintain tight communication between kitchen, bakery and front of house team members, as well as good customer service. One year's barista or cafe experience would be preferred.
5: And now we call time on another edition of Flavour. Don't forget that we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12pm, repeated on Sundays at 2 and then again on Mondays at 6pm. There's also the podcast, which will be available early in the next week.
1: Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 o'clock is the Cambridgeshire Football Show, and at 2 o'clock, Sue Marchant is here with local guests and some of her favourite music. We'll be back on the 13th of March with plenty more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.